All right, good morning. We'd just like to uh, ask you, how many of you know our vision statement? You, you should have a purple piece of paper maybe that was given out. Walking together, discovering answers, finding hope in Jesus. And there's some uh, among our fellowship that are having a hard time with the finding hope. And so let's, uh, let's just pause a moment and pray because uh, the enemy is a stealer of hope. And without hope, um, it's very difficult to navigate through life at all. And so uh, let's pray that the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way we phrase this is that uh, no matter how bad it gets in this life, there's still hope in Jesus Let's just pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, there are people you know right now that are struggling mightily with hope. They've been introduced to you. They know the truth about you, but hope is eluding them. Your word tells us that we exult in our tribulations because it produces in us endurance and endurance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts. And I pray for the souls today that are struggling with hope, that the Holy Spirit will mount up in them, restoring them in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving them a path and a way to understand the things that life has done to them, The lesson that Nicole has shared with us is so important. We pin our hopes on the temporal, and we are always disappointed. But when we pin our hopes on the eternal God, your word says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will never be disappointed. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will reach out even now, breaking the bonds of of darkness, the lies against you, the accusations that we all have experienced against ourselves, the accusations against God that raise up in our minds. And we pray in Jesus' name, as Paul did in 2 Corinthians, we bring every thought captive. And we cast down speculations and every thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And we bring every thought into obedience. And so, God, I pray for those souls today that are struggling, be they here or elsewhere. We thank you, Lord, that you are not bound by the dimensions of time and space, that you can touch them, and we're trusting you to do it. And I'm praying for anyone in this sanctuary today, Lord, that is struggling with hope and struggling with the meaning of life, perhaps, or just wondering, why don't you just fix stuff? Lord God, may you help us to see that you will and that you're in the process of it even now, but there's a day coming when you will finish what you have started. Faithful is he who calls who will also bring it to pass. And he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. To the praise and the glory of God 
and to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. So, how many times have I told you? How many parents out there can relate to that phrase? How many children remember when somebody said that to you? (laughs) So typically in our context, uh, it's because somebody wasn't listening or obeying, right? How many times have I told you? But in our study of Revelation, that's not the case. The audience is definitely listening. And the repetition that is happening in the book of Revelation isn't because the people are not listening, but because people need hope. The repetition indicates the certainty of things to come. It's the total victory of God and his people in the end of the ages. Doesn't look like it right now, does it? I just got an email this past week from John Barry Van Hoogen, who is, uh, works with uh, Church Partnership Evangelism. And uh, he was doing a Zoom training call with four pastors in Africa. The one thing COVID has done is it's taught us how to communicate across the world. And uh, because he still can't get there, he was Zooming with four pastors, training them in how to train his, their people in sharing the gospel, how to do intercessory prayer and so forth. And as the Zoom call came in, one of the guys was missing, and it was found out that the man had passed away. A pastor had died. And it was really grievous, but there was also the rest of them saying, it only means that we've got to work harder. There's still hope. Hope, they say, springs eternal. Well, not unless it's rooted in Christ, because he is the eternal one. And so one of the significant reasons interpreting Revelation is so difficult is because we oftentimes read it like a story from beginning to end, like it has a plot line, and it has a climax and a conclusion, and so we naturally understand things in sequence, don't we? We like things, you know, to kind of follow along in an order. We also, and I'm going to say this tenderly, but we are arrogant people, and we think everybody should think like we do. And the truth is most of the rest of the world doesn't, okay? And it's not because they're inferior or because we're better, but it is because culture shapes how people think, and we think According to our culture, we like things in a linear, sequential, point after point after point, and we think that's how everybody thinks. But you have to understand that the Bible was written by people who didn't think like us, okay? They didn't think like us at all. They had a very different perspective of the world, and they were writing it in their perspective, and this does not mean that we cannot understand the Bible. It simply means that we can learn how they were thinking, and it brings the Bible much more alive to us. So let's dive into this book a little bit further. And the the best way for us to get our heads around the book of Revelation is to humble ourselves and say, Lord, teach us. And I pray that that's your spirit today. 
So the passage for our consideration is bringing us to a conclusion. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 11, if you want to turn there. And it's bringing us to a conclusion, but if you take a look at the whole study of Revelation, that's right in the middle of the book. But yet it's giving us the conclusion. You see, a lot of us don't like to have spoiler alerts. But the Bible is telling us the spoiler alert, okay? Wants us to know what's happening and what's going to happen in the end. Bible commentary by William Barclay put it this way. He said, what makes this passage so difficult is that it seems to indicate that things have come to an end in the final victory, but there's still a half of the book to go. The explanation, as we have seen, is that this passage is a summary of what is still to come. So many times in Revelation, it spells out the defeat of the enemies of God, the judgment of those who have been destroyed, been destroying God's creation. So from the very beginning, listen, God's creation has been under attack. God made everything good, but it has been uh, corrupted by sin, by rebellion, both in the heavens and on the earth. Then the good news is that God is going to bring this to an end. He's going to vindicate and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. But the repetition of the theme is to give greater encouragement to know that the future for God and his people is totally secure. So don't lose heart when it seems that the wrong side is winning. And don't stoop to the evil ways to get even. To overcome is to do what Jesus did. Loving surrender to the will of the Father. Loving our enemies and laying down our lives in faith. Knowing that God will raise it up again. Can that be done in our flesh? No. But I wonder, you know, even a simple practice of when somebody cuts you off in traffic that you begin to pray and ask God to bless them with a wonderful trip to their destination instead of cursing after them. <laughs> I know I'm meddling. So there's three, three, three things that are foreshadowed in the text that we're going to look at. First is, is that there is victory in which the kingdom of the world becomes the Lord's and is Christ's. The second is the victory leads to the time when God takes his supreme authority over the nations, over all create, creatures, visible and invisible. And then the final rebellion of the hostile powers will be totally defeated, never to rise again, ending in eternal judgment. And so the capstone of this revelation, we will read in verse 19, is that we're going to see a temple again. There's going to be an Ark of the Covenant, which we've never seen in Revelation to this point. And it's going to have lightning, thunder, earthquakes, and a great hailstorm. What does that mean? Hope in the midst of the storm. Right? So let's look at our text. Oh, excuse me, yeah, let's look at our text. <laughs> Revelation chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. 
The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. How many of you know Handel's Messiah? That's, that's, a, that's pretty good. Let's, let's do it. Let's, and he shall reign for. Okay. <laughs> and the 24 elders were singing Handel's Messiah. They were sitting on their thrones before God, and they fell on their faces, worshiping God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time toward your um, bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of the covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Now, this parallels very much the second psalm, which I put up on the screen. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Well, he who sits in the heavens laughs and scoffs at them. And then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall scatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence, and rejoice with trembling Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all all who take refuge in him. You know, from the very beginning of time, rebellion by both supernatural and human beings resulted in the nations being at war with God, and anything that's related to his glory. We read in Genesis chapter 6 and all the way through chapter 11, we read about a flood, right? And then after the flood, God said to Noah and to his sons, go forth, multiply, replenish the earth, spread out. Take that authority I gave you and, and run this world. So what'd they do? They decided to gather at a place called Shinar and build a tower to the heavens. God said, go forth. You, you, 
You have my blessing. And they go, no, no, no. We're going to build a tower and bring the gods down or find a way for us to ascend. The tower or temple structure was motivated by the false notion that they could reach the heavens or bring the gods down to them. They believed that they could achieve divine status by self-effort and ingenuity. And God judged them because they were disobedient to his command to spread out. He had already given them the blessing and the authority to have dominion on the earth. But they wanted to do things their own way. So God confused their language. Subsequently, they had no choice but to find places in which to live because they were now divided of tongue. They were distrustful of one another, fearful and prone to war. Now, this is a sad thing, but the nations at this point were disinherited by God. He said to them, fine, you don't want me? Good luck. And he apportioned them out. And they were no longer his people. But God said, out of this mess, I'm going to call a people to myself. And so he found this guy named Abram, who became Abraham. And God made and kept a covenant with him and told him that through his descendants would come a seed who would bless the nations and the whole world would be blessed through him. And it wasn't because Abraham was such a good guy. We read that he was a pretty flawed individual. But he did trust God. And we find that his descendants were not the greatest example of people, were they? But God is faithful. And so he worked through this people, bringing them to the point where the fulfillment of the covenant came as God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Galatians 4.4, 4, you probably read it before. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive what? Adoption is son. See, we were alienated. Now he's made a way to come back into the family. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, and then an heir through God. See, we were disinherited. Now we are what? We're brought into the inheritance. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things which by nature are not God's, or not God. A lot of people think, well, I was never an idolater. And I would tell you, yes, you still struggle with it. Revelation 11.15 is the fulfillment of God's plan to recover all the nations that had been abandoned They had abandoned God, and subsequently, they were disinherited at the Tower of Babel. 
And then God in great mercy brought forth this plan and purpose to bring the whole world into one kingdom under one rule and one authority under the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. By the way, it is a singular. It's not kingdoms. King James isn't right there. Sorry, Gary. Although it is in Westminster Abbey in the King James Version to remind every one of those who have been coronated there that there is a king greater than them. Now, Daniel, 500 years before Christ, interpreted a dream of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Do you guys remember him? He had this dream, and he had a dream of a statue with a gold head and silver torso and bronze uh, loins and then the legs of iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar called his dream interpreters in and he said, I had a dream and I want you to interpret it. And they said, oh, king, live forever. Tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. He says, no, wait a minute. I know what you guys are up to. You tell me what I dreamed and tell me the interpretation. And they go, okay, nobody's ever asked anybody to do that before. Just tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. He says, no, I think you're stalling. In fact, I think you're a bunch of frauds. So I'm going to give you a certain amount of time, and if you don't come and tell me the dream I had and its interpretation, I'm going to kill you and your families, and we're done with a whole lot of you. Now, there was a young man named Daniel that had been put into this group of people. And so his life was at stake along with his three friends, right? And they found out about it, and they said, well, we better pray. How many of you, when you're about to die, pray? They say, Lord, you know, you are the giver of dreams. And we need to know the dream. And we need to know its interpretation. And Daniel had the dream. And so he goes into King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, oh, king, live forever. <laughs> it was a common greeting if you didn't want your head chopped off. And then he said, here's the dream you had. You saw a statue with a head of gold and silver, bronze, and legs of iron and clay. And this is what it means. Four kingdoms. You are the head of gold. Your kingdom is the greatest kingdom on the earth. But a kingdom's coming after you. It'll be inferior to yours, but still very mighty and powerful. And that, we know, is the Medo-Persian Empire. And then after that, the bronze was the Greek Empire that came under Alexander the Great. And then the legs of iron and clay was the Roman Empire, which was very much a great description of the Roman Empire because it was a mixture of all different peoples and so forth. And they didn't really mingle strongly because iron and clay don't mix, but there was enough to hold it together. And then Daniel said, but you also saw something. You saw a little stone. And this little stone came up and smashed the statue. And it blew to pieces. And then the stone grew up to be a great mountain. And it's a kingdom that will last forever. You see, this kingdom or these kingdoms are temporal. And these kingdoms represent every kingdom of the world that is independent of God and boasts of its might 
and its power, its military, and its wealth. That's why in the end of Revelation, Babylon, Babylon is fallen. Because it represents every nation that raises itself up against God. But this little stone, I want you to read here what Daniel said in chapter 2. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it would, itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. The stone became a mountain, and the stone is what? Now, pretend like you're in Sunday school, and give the Sunday school answer. Jesus. All right? He's the stone that the builders rejected, but was in fact the chief corner stone. His kingdom is growing throughout the earth. His kingdom is eternal. Right now, there are people worshiping God in every place. There are only a few places left where the gospel has not reached. There are only so many unreached people groups left on this earth. But the kingdom of God is still growing. This mountain is still growing. But guess what? The kingdoms of this world are still there, aren't they? And they're opposing as I speak, just a scant, five years ago, my daughter and I went to Burma, and we were able to do uh, uh, church partnership evangelism work with a number of pastors, and uh, the place, the, uh, Burma, it's now known as Myanmar, was beginning to thrive again after a horrible run of a dictator that basically stripped the country of all of its resources and took off, and there was a lady that had been uh, elected president, and she was a good person and restoring things, and uh, religious freedom was being uh, renewed, and the churches were beginning to thrive. You know what's happening now, if you watch the news at all. There's another military coup. They're destroying the country. There is a refugee camp in the north of Thailand near uh, India with one million people displaced, no electricity, no running water, a million people. This thing is, this camp is spread out over, I don't know how many square miles. We have a Burmese congregation that meets in our church every Sunday night, and I was asking them, do you have anybody that's, you know, struggling at home with all this? And the guy said, yeah, he says, I have a brother who's got my mother, and they're just hiding out in the jungle. They don't know where they're going to get their food, but they're, they're just hiding and laying low and staying away from the military. The evil sometimes looks like it's winning the day. For them, they need to continue to hear that the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ is coming. In Revelation chapter 17 and 18, it says, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, 
who are and who were because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time for the, end, the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both the small and the great, to destroy those who destroy the earth. This is the fulfillment of Psalm 2. Why did the nations rage? But God is saying, you've got a little bit of time to worship the Son before His judgment comes. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember... The Gentiles, you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. In other words, we were of the nations that had been dispossessed because our ancestors said no to God. He says, remember you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope in the world without God. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. (laughs) For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he in himself might make the two into one new, establishing peace reconciling them into one body through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. This is the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. We were separated from God, but through Christ, we've been reconciled to him. Coming into a kingdom that is not of this world, and should never be equated with any kingdom of this world. A kingdom that will last forever. Now, I have a question for you. When is this going to happen? And now, if any of you have been following any of my sermons for a while, when is it going to happen? It's... Now and not yet. It's now. It's, it's happening now, but it's not yet. The fulfillment of it is yet to come, but it's happening now. You see, that's what Paul was writing to the Ephesians is, here's the now. You were alienated from God. You were outside the covenant. You were in disinherited people, but God has brought you in. Made you a part of the inheritance. And so then he gets all excited. And I like Paul's letters because every now and then he just can't help it. But he just starts to worship. (laughs) And he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Where did we all come from in the beginning? God created us. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. Anybody follow what he just said? That you might comprehend... To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up with the fullness of God. Oh, To him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or think. According to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Because we've been brought back. It's now. But it's not yet. There's still junk going on. I hope that Nicole's not a prophet, but she doesn't have to be to say this week something probably stinky is going to happen. Because it's not yet, but it's soon. And so we read in Revelation 11, the outcome of God's promises is that there's this temple. You remember in Revelation 11, he started out with a temple and God says, measure it. And before he could get even measuring it, he saw these two witnesses. And so he's kind of describing that. And then he comes back to this and he says, oh, uh, now the kingdoms of the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And he's going to bring about the fulfillment of everything. And then we get a temple again. You see why Revelation's weird? Actually, it's not. We are. John is coming back full circle. What's the temple? The temple's not a building. It's not a tower that we build to reach the heavens. The temple is the people of God. And how he says there's an ark in it, the ark of the covenant. What's the ark of the covenant? Anybody remember? It was a, a box that was put inside the temple of God and inside the box were the Ten Commandments. There was a jar of manna and Aaron's rod that was cut from a tree and dead as wood can get and yet budded as if it were alive from the life of God. These things were inside the ark. Okay, so John sees the temple and he sees the ark What's he talking about? Well, what, the Ten Commandments was a part of God's covenant, right? But Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this manna, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Because he's the what? The bread of life. And then he took the cup also after supper and he completely obliterated the Seder tradition. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What new covenant? Covenant that God had promised through Jeremiah, through Ezekiel, through Isaiah. That I'll take that heart of stone, that hard heart of yours, and I'll put a new heart in you. And I'll put my spirit in you. And I'll write my law upon your heart. And you'll no longer have to do it. You'll want to do it. 
because you'll be a new creature in Christ. This is the new covenant. John sees the temple, and he sees the ark of the covenant in it. The new covenant. The new covenant in Christ's blood. He's taken up residence in us. And then he ends it with a little bit of lightning, a little bit of thunder, a little bit of hailstorm, and a nice little earthquake. Why? Because with all that going on, God is faithful. God is faithful. Heavenly Father, restore the hope of your people. You brought us together that we might walk together, that we might live our lives in in a way that we intersect with each other, encourage each other, and bless each other. You've caused us to find answers in Christ, and we're discovering them through your word. Today, we see that there's hope in Jesus. But we have to trust it. We have to put our trust in it. We have to believe it. And I pray, God, by the grace of your Holy Spirit, you'd touch every soul here today that their faith is strengthened and renewed by the promises of your word. That regardless of what they're facing today or will face in the days and weeks ahead, because we know that it's going to get worse before it gets better usually. But already the kingdom is the Lord's and it is Christ. And it's growing as a great mountain in all the earth. And it will be a forever kingdom. So I pray, Lord, anyone who wants to be in that kingdom will humble themselves right now and receive Jesus and say, forgive me, Lord. I've walked away from you, but I'm coming home. Take me because I trust you. In Jesus' name. I love you, Lord.